I, I enjoy it so much because it reveals history for what it is. And that's why I say all families lie. If they don't have a story to tell, they're going to make one up. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today's show is a special one for me. I'm chatting with my genealogist. Webster's Dictionary defines a genealogist as a person who traces or studies the descent of persons or families. On the PBS show, Finding Your Roots with Henry Louis Gates Jr., he says genealogists help stitch together the past from the paper trail our ancestors leave behind. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't really know how fascinating and challenging the work of a genealogist is until I met someone very special, my birth mother, Anne. For our reunion, I surprised Anne at her job on her birthday. Less than one month later, it was my birthday, and she presented me with a huge purple album with photos of herself over the years and an entire family tree that she had painstakingly documented going back generations to the days of slavery in America. I can't even express with words how moving it was to see the names of my maternal relatives written down by Anne's own hand after years of patient research to fill in the blanks. Sadly, Anne passed away in September 2014, and I never really got to ask her about her genealogical work. So this summer, when I met today's guest, Bill, and I found out he was a genealogist, I wanted to hear more about him, how he got into genealogy, and the clients he's helped. At the end, I'll tell you about Bill's work on my genealogy. In the meantime, this is the story of his work as a genealogist helping others. Bill is originally from St. Louis, Missouri, but after years of living in different parts of the country, he's settled in Las Vegas. I asked Bill what the catalyst was for him to take up genealogy and why he was so interested in digging into the depths of a family's personal history. He told me that some time ago, his father passed away, but his father had never mentioned a word about his own family. In the aftermath of his death, Bill's sister said something about their family history that piqued Bill's curiosity. One day in the spring of 1992, Bill went to the Detroit Public Library to see the Hart Historical Collection and sift through artifacts to try to find some answers. It was a Saturday. It was a grungy day. I remember that. And I was at it all day long, just grinding away at a film strip. And they closed at 5 o'clock. And maybe about 4.30 or so, at the end of this film strip, when my eyes were laying down on my chest, <laughs> suddenly I saw a family name that I recognized. And I thought, oh my God. That's not exactly what I said, but <laughs> that'll work. But, but close that, enough. That, that'll work. <laughs> that'll, and that's how I got started. But the reason why was because my father never said one word about his family. Zip, zero, nada. And we had, I think, in the family we had been talking, he had died. And we were talking, 
And my sister said something that just kind of piqued my interest and curiosity. And that's how I got started. Wow. So you began with your own personal journey. Hmm. Yes. Naturally, my curiosity turned to why Bill started helping others with their searches. He told the story of discovering the Mormon Family History Center in Las Vegas, where he was getting pretty good at tracking down records and piecing together information. One of the staff members took note of his developing skills and asked him to join their team helping others because they really could use the help. She asked him to join them every time they saw one another for months. Bill wasn't interested, but she broke him down. He tried everything to get out of joining the team, saying he would only work one day a week, that he would only work in the mornings on Wednesdays, and more. But the woman just agreed with his requirements. Finally, I said, I won't be able to start until the fall. This was in June, I think. She said, okay. Well, I'd forgotten about it, and they called me and reminded me that I was supposed to report on a certain day, which I did, and when I got there... I asked where this particular person was. And they said, oh, she's no longer here. I said, what do you mean she's no longer here? <laughs> she holds me down for six months. And she's, they said, no, she, her husband retired and they moved back to Montana. So I started and I enjoyed it. I was there for eight years as a volunteer. So that's how I got started there. And I've helped people who been researching in South Africa, Mexico, Portugal, just just all over. And although I don't speak Portuguese, I do not speak uh, Afrikaans and what have It's just that the experience has taught me that there are just certain clues, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that you look for. I've always been one of these people that if you don't know Ask somebody. I don't care where they are, who they are. Ask. What do you tell people when you are first taking their case? How do you prime them for your process, for what they might find or might not find? What do you? What sort of words of wisdom do you start a person off with when they say, "I, I need you to help me with my genealogy"? The very first thing I say, and it's it's on a serious note, but tending toward humor is that all families lie. And I get that look, and I said, trust me, all families lie. Uncle Charlie did not win the war all by himself, okay? <laughs> right. I don't care what he told you. So that's, that's where I start. And generally, I stress, sometimes you'll find something, sometimes you won't. Mm -hmm. What you see on television on the Gates programs and other programs, those programs are, they are well-funded and there are professionals who are chasing down documents. So you're referring to the PBS show, Finding Your Roots with Henry Louis yeah, Gates? Yeah, right, Finding Your Roots, uh, Who Do You Think You Are, mm -hmm. various magazines, mm -hmm. uh, and what have you. Uh, it's a slog. It really is a slog. Yeah. It, it, it is totally that, totally that. Yeah, I could see how folks would come in with, you know, having seen Finding Your Roots or Who Do You Think You Are? And, you know, the, you, you see the whole history of their research buttoned up in a 30 to, you know, 60 minute on, you know, television program. And you think, wow, this mm -hmm, should be pretty mm -hmm. easy. Um, but it's mm -hmm. it's a lot more difficult than that. There's a lot more research. 
Bill's experiences led him to serve as president of a local Las Vegas group of genealogists, and eventually he started his own group. He teaches concepts of genealogy and still gets calls from people he's helped in the past who are stuck on their search for information. Obviously, the internet age has dramatically improved a genealogist's ability to find information, and it's always changing as more and more information comes online. But there are still times when internet resources require a line-by-line, detailed search for information. Bill says the commercialization of genealogy has been beneficial for pouring money into this genre of research. But still, there are many valuable resources that aren't online yet. He talks about the challenges of the investigative work it takes to decipher clues about people who have been incorrectly identified in records. The more experienced one becomes, there are so many tools, so, so, so very many tools, books, papers, periodicals, libraries, court uh, documents, special and, collections mm-hmm. in libraries. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating body of work that you have to sift through. I can only imagine what it must have been like as you were starting your own search for your own personal history to sit there and, you know, have a full day in front of a, you know, terrible computer screen, I'm sure, uh, looking through microfiche and just literally reading line after line after line. You can't, it's not easily searchable. You can't type in a search word. You literally have to read every word. Yeah, that's true. But there are still times, there are still times that one has to do a line by line search and sometimes you stumble upon something that may be related to what you're looking for or it may be totally unrelated. People think that everybody is always where they're supposed to be, and that is not true. Mm-hmm. And you've got to sift through that, you know, do a little detective work. In earlier years, Americans... I call it broken spoken. They spoke broken spoken. You see a lot of nicknames. The census taker would write down what they heard. Mm. It might not have been. It might not. It might not have been what was said. But that's what they heard. So that's that's what they wrote down. Mm-hmm. Bill has done genealogical searches across international borders, but searching for African American historical facts and people can be challenging in this country. He pointed out that coming out of slavery in America, many blacks, especially males, changed their names multiple times before using their final name. I'm just fascinated by by history, mm-hmm. and particularly so black people and how we how we fit and don't fit. But what I mean by that is, although we there we were not written into history, mm-hmm. we weren't necessarily written out of it. We just weren't written into it. Most think that the slaves took the former master's name. That just is that just is not true. Many did, many many did not. And what what names would they take? Like how, tell, explain more what you mean there. The name Freeman. There were many who chose that name for the obvious reasons. Mm. I am a free man, and that's my name. But never, and this is an aside, never, 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 ever have I seen an African-sounding name. Never. Even in 1870, Mm -hmm. I have never seen this, and I've always looked for this. As Bill was talking, I couldn't help thinking that the de-identification of Africans coming to America is similar to what adoptees sometimes feel today. Domestically, 
and internationally. There are times when a child's name is changed. In some states, their original birth certificate is withheld, and the adoptee, who wants to search for their identity and their family, is left fighting an immense uphill battle to re-identify who they once were. Back on genealogy, I asked Bill about some of the stories from his years of work. He talked about a search many years ago helping a woman from Texas with a family history in Georgia. Their family moved to Texas after the Civil War. She was in search of a family member, but she was surprised by what she learned about her family's past. Family was originally from Georgia. They went to Texas during the Civil War. Many, many slave owners moved their property from the war states into Texas to keep them away from the plundering Union Army. She was looking for a relative, and she said very adamantly that no, because I asked if they own slaves, because then I was going to look under the slave schedules. She said, no, 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 no. Well, eventually I found her great-great-grandfather, and he did indeed own slaves. Mm-hmm. And she, we would at, at the library, LDS library, and she pushed her chair back. It was very quiet at that moment. And she said, the S-O-B's, the lion bees. <laughs> and the place, everybody just turned and looked at us. And I was trying my best not to laugh out loud <laughs> because she was livid. Mm-hmm. She thought slave, she felt slavery was such a horrendous blemish mm-hmm. that it should never have happened and why it persisted and how badly many humans were treated, it it was difficult for her. It was very, very difficult for her. Bill points out that international searches, where you can create a trail back to another country, are sometimes easier if you can follow the story back to a certain locale. For instance, many European countries have very detailed records dating back many years. Of course, history has seen courts, churches, and other places where valuable records were maintained be completely destroyed. That's why Bill recommends that everyone try their best to document their own personal history. The big thing is is that many, many, many records just don't exist anymore. Particularly so in this country in this country, especially after the Civil War, where many courthouses were burned. So many records are just gone. Period, mm-hmm. period, period. And it's one of the things that I try to preach to people that You are a library, and whatever you know you need to document it, write it down, give it to someone. Because like all libraries, if a library burns down, that information is irretrievably lost. That's right. You as a person, when you transition, the information goes with you. All your memories, yeah. And all of your recollections of everything that someone told you are also gone, right? It's not just your own personal experiences, but the transferred oral history is lost. Irretrievably lost. Bill estimates he's helped thousands of people with their genealogical searches during his years of volunteer work. He said sometimes he was at the library to do his own personal research, but when he was spotted, 
he often got sucked into supporting the research of other library patrons. One time, a woman came in doing research on another woman who moved with a family from Virginia to Ohio during the late 1800s. In this story, you'll hear how a genealogist uses official documentation and their intuition on a search while learning how families pass unofficial and unwritten agreements between themselves as the fabric of their own personal history. She was looking for a woman, black woman, who left with a family from Virginia moving to Ohio. This family was leaving. The black woman was a slave. She wanted to go with the family. They kept saying, but you don't belong to us. We'd love to take you, but we can't take you because you belong to Dr. So-and-so. So they decided that they would approach the, the owner, and he relented. He just signed papers. There was no transfer of money. She went with them. And when they got to Ohio, she kind of lost track of them, and she was particularly so looking for this woman. And I looked at it for a while, and I said, we're looking for the wrong person. And she said, what do you mean? I said, let's stop looking for this black woman and start looking for one of your relatives. Let's pick one of the most likely and start following them. Well, they, they got to Ohio. They purchased land. They started farming. The father died, left the land to his three sons. So we started tracking them. and. The one son we found, one son we found with his family, and sure enough, it was this black woman that she was looking for. I think she was 96, 97, something like that. Mm -hmm. But the reason she was still with them was that the family made a pact that as long as any of them lived, she would have a safe haven. I've always found that to be a, a very fascinating story. Yeah, and it's interesting to me, too, because it actually ties together all of the elements of what it sounds like you would rely on as evidence for a genealogical search. You talked about marriage, and I assume the marital records were part of the search. You talked about land purchases, which would have been documented with the courts. You talked about a verbal pact within the family, which goes into their own sort of uh, family lore and what people would have passed down as part of their own family oral history. So it, that story is actually very indicative of what I would imagine is illustrative of the challenges of genealogical search. The fact that it is going to require so much evidence from so many different angles that you really have to be paying attention, not to mention you went with your own intuition, which is we shouldn't be looking for this person. I suspect we probably should be looking for that person. I, I enjoy it so much because it reveals history for what it is. And that's why I say all families lie. If they don't have a story to tell, they're going to make one up. <laughs> and if they make one up, they're going to embellish it. Or if there's a story to be told, they may embellish that. Or they may chip away at some of the edges or take away some of the information. So, you know, as, um, as a genealogist, one has, one has a, lot of, a lot of work to do. I asked Bill about his own family's history from his genealogical work. He says in genealogy, you focus on birth, marriage, and death. But in his family, there were some records that just cannot be found in those three areas of a person's life. He jokes, 
In my family, we weren't born, we didn't marry, and we didn't die. He shares the story of discovering his own heritage after research that connected him to people his father never said a word about. In the spring of 1992, Bill and his brother Charles went to a family reunion outside of Jackson, Mississippi. And we just could not believe hundreds of people. And we're going, these are our relatives. Now, my father never said a word about his family, but these are all relatives, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, the more involved I got with the family, I was told, and this is a, this for me is a very interesting story. It's a crazy story, but it's interesting. I was told that great-grandmother was of Pakistani descent. Why is she of Pakistani descent? Well, if you see her, look at her curly hair and look at her cheekbones and look at her color. Oh, yeah, okay. The story is that she came from Philadelphia with a family, okay, as a servant. Well, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Great-grandmother died in 1927. Pakistan did not become a nation-state until 1947. When I explained this information on the family, Many of them went nuts. I said, look, she died 20 years before Pakistan became a nation state. The point being, the point very simply is, and we go back to what I said earlier on, all families lie. If they don't have a story to tell, they will make one up. That's my favorite about... um, my family. I know Bill has many more stories to tell about his family's history. And in a minute, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my own story. But for now, Bill left me with some parting wisdom that you should consider in your search. Always keep searching. Well, Bill, this has been fascinating. I've I've long been interested in the genealogical work of people like you, and especially, you know, because shows like you know, who do you think you are and long lost family and stuff really make the subject mainstream. And you start to get into things like uh, commercial DNA tests, you know, 23andMe and Ancestry DNA, and they, they enlighten people about the facts of their family that they didn't know and hadn't confirmed. And I've always wanted to talk to somebody who really brought the research aspect of discovering what a person's family and personal history was. And, you know, my own biological mother was a, a uh, genealogist as well. And when I met her, she was able to give me an entire uh, family history all the way back to the days of slaves, just like you were. So this was amazing. I appreciate your time and thank you so much for sharing your work. Not a problem. It's, a pleasure that's all mine. I, I will say this. One should never, never, ever stop looking. There is something somewhere. There is always someone somewhere who knows something. But in our everyday busy world, we're, you know, we're so, so busy running hither and yawn. If we ask 10 questions, we think that we've 
exhausted it. Wherein question number 11 is the question that unlocks or opens the door. So never, ever stop looking, stop questioning. I've, I've, I've kept that in mind over the years. I love it. Very cool. There's a yes somewhere. All I need to do is find it. Well, thank you very much for your work, and thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. All the best to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, take care. We'll Bye-bye. talk again real soon. All right, then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. Bill's detailed searches into the historical past have helped so many people find meaningful, often surprising answers about their families. And remember I said I had something to share? I have a confession to make. Bill is my biological father. I found him completely accidentally in the summer of 2017 when my wife, her family, and I were doing DNA testing to learn more about my mother-in-law, a fellow adoptee. We wanted to know more about how all of our genes flowed into my son, Seth. But Ancestry DNA had a more meaningful reveal waiting for me than I could have imagined. It was online that I was surprised to see two parent-child matches in my DNA, that of mine and Seth's, and that of another man whom Ancestry DNA said was my father. So every piece of Bill's personal history that you just heard is also my history. When I met him in person, he had a genealogical chart completely filled out, again, back to the days of slavery. I consider myself very lucky that both of my parents, Anne and Bill, were genealogists. Interestingly, neither one of them had any other children besides me. Therefore, I'm in a unique position of helping to pass down our family history to Seth and the generations that will follow him. This is my final show for this season of Who Am I Really? And ending National Adoption Awareness Month with Bill has meant so much. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Bill's genealogical work and in my reunification with him that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn Who am I, really? I'll be back in January 2018 with many more stories of adoption journeys and attempts at reunifications. If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family on the next season of the show, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can also find the show at facebook.com slash really or follow me on Twitter at really. And please... If you like the show, take a moment to rate Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, or leave a comment at whoamireallypodcast.com. Those ratings can help others find the show, too.